Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. Joining me for tonight's collaboration is Ed Kennard, co-host of The Greatest Song Ever Sung Poorly podcast. Ed, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Hey, Brian, it's good to see you again. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to have you, man. Let's just get right into it. Ed, what does the word mixtape mean to you? Well, Brian, I'm assuming we're about the same age, so I feel like uh, mixtapes were a very big part of our high school years. I feel like we're we're somewhere close to each other. I, I mean, I know we both graduated in the 90s. Yep, yep, that is correct. So in some ways, it is it, it was the teenage art form for people like us. We made mixtapes for friends. We made mixtapes for road trips. We made mixtapes for people we had feelings for. It was a way that you uh, you express something without having to say the words yourself. And... I kind of miss them. And that's kind of the beauty of where this show goes, because tonight, Ed and I will be curating a mixtape of the songs of 1993, back in our high school years, which I can't believe I'm even saying this, turns 30 years old this year. Now, I actually thought uh, that you made a mistake when you asked me for this one, because I assumed that if it was me and you working together you were going to have it be the songs of 1939 because you always tag me in for the old stuff. But <laughs> Yeah, your Playlist Wars episodes, it became like your niche, man. You had right. Motown, you had oldies. But no, we're going to go right to the 90s with this one. And for clarification, we're choosing songs from albums that were released in 1993. So even though Rage Against the Machine's self-titled album was massive throughout the entire year, the album was actually officially released in November of 1992, so it doesn't count. Now, considering we're talking about a year in music that had massive hits in classic rock, alternative, grunge, pop, dance, hip-hop, this playlist can go in many different directions. So I personally made sure to bring enough of each genre to prepare me for any twists and turns that might occur as this mixtape unfolds. So, Ed, I'm sitting on a bank of about 50 songs, and I have no clue what kind of shape this mixtape is going to take. But I'm curious what you were looking for in the songs that you brought to the table tonight. So with a mixtape that's focused on a year, I, I wanted it to be like a time capsule almost and in some respects i failed heavily at that because there's a genre i didn't start listening to at all until i started doing karaoke and that's country music country mm -hmm. music was off my radar the majority of my life unfortunately it just happens to be the genre that fits my voice the best so i learned a lot of country stuff in the past 10 15 years but i was looking at country songs from 1993 and i'm like i don't know any of these at all so I'm going to do my best to time capsule my 1993 and to play off what you bring to 1993 as well. All right, well, let's get down to business. The songs of 1993. We're going to use the old cassette deck approach, meaning our mixtape will be broken up into two sides, side A and side B. Ed, as my special guest tonight, will begin side A with his first song choice, and then I'll add a song that I feel best follows up his choice. We'll then flip-flop choosing songs until we've mapped out 10 songs for side A. We'll then give that mixtape a proverbial flip, and we'll map out side B, only then I will kick the side off and Ed will choose second. Our overall goal for this episode is to craft the best songs of 1993 mixtape possible 
using only 20 songs. At the end of the show, you could take our conversation to the next level by visiting the Songs of 1993 page at myweeklymixtape.com and give our final mixtape a listen via the embedded playlist. Finally, if you like what you're hearing on the show, please consider becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. And I'd like to welcome this week's newest Patreon member, Cactus Pete. Cactus Pete, thank you so much for signing up and being part of the Mixtaper family. Ed, before I turn it over to you to reveal your track one, some of the fellow Mixtapers who follow My Weekly Mixtape on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at My Weekly Mixtape have chimed in with their ideal opening track for a Songs of 1993 mixtape, and I wanted to share them now so you and I can have some musical food for thought. Michael Breen chimed in with The Cranberries Linger. Steve Smy chimed in with Bad Religion's American Jesus. Amy Borchin chimed in with Mazzy Star's Fade Into You. DT Carell chimed in with Smashing Pumpkins Rocket. Garfield, not Heathcliff, love that name, chimed in with Onyx's Slam. Slick Nick chimed in with Diggable Planets, Rebirth of Slick. Gary Radcliffe chimed in with Lenny Kravitz, Are You Gonna Go My Way? My friends at Radio Levin chimed in with Steve Miller Band's Wide River. John Taman chimed in with Lemonhead Style. Tim McCarthy from the 20 Tim Minutes podcast chimed in with Wu-Tang Clan's Bring the Ruckus. Rob Ebert chimed in with Crackers Low. And Simon Evans chimed in with Tools Sober. Ed, with those picks out in the universe, I'm officially pressing the record button on our mixtape, and the floor is yours. Why don't you dive into the song that you chose to kick off Side A? Absolutely. So one of the things that kind of fell off this playlist for me and my history of this time period is I was a club kid back then, and I was a DJ for the later half of the 90s. And one of the things we always did with mixtapes was we started off things with like a sample from a movie or a skit or something like that. Like we worked in other things outside of the music. So I wanted to lead off the mixtape with something that brings some of that in with the track itself. And that would be Protect Your Neck from Wu-Tang Clan from Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers. Ooh, man, you're already scooping me on song one. That is absolutely unbelievable. Of course, how can you do a 1993 playlist and not talk about enter the Wu-Tang 36 chambers. It is a seminal hip hop album. I actually chose M E T H O D man method, man, one of my favorite hip hop songs of all time, but man, you cannot go wrong with protect your neck. And then obviously, like I mentioned at the top, Tim McCarthy chimed in with bring the ruckus. I mean, you can't go wrong with any Wu-Tang clan. So I love where you're going with that, but now to follow that up, it is very hard to go from Wu-Tang Clan to something that wouldn't bring that kind of hip-hop vibe. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to go with something that brings me back to my junior prom in high school. I'm going to go to the 1993 album Doggy Style, and I'm going to go with Snoop Dogg, and I'm going to go with his massive hit, Gin and Juice. If you want to hear an amazing cover of that, because I love talking cover songs, the Gourds do a bluegrass version that is definitely worth looking up. But yeah, I, I think the only way you could follow up Wu-Tang is to kind of go with something that's just an absolute banger. So my track two for side A is going to be Snoop Dogg, Gin and Juice. You uh, 
scooping with the artist at least i did have who am i what's my name on there from the same album honestly that was also on my list the way i had it written it was what's my name slash gin and juice and when i sat there thinking protect your neck i'm like what do we want to do second i felt like gin and juice would just kind of bring it to a different place because i don't think this tape's going to be entirely hip-hop because there's a lot of different genres we're going to be covering tonight so in order to not make it so hip-hop heavy i wanted to give a song that maybe you could slide out of into some different genres with so that was my reasoning for going with gin and juice over what's my name but what's my name is also an amazing track i love that one too so man this is this is starting off pretty strong right here and the nice thing about doing something like that, which feeds into something else, is, you know, there's a lot of samples involved, and that takes us back to, like, that 70s funk sound, which means I associate the 70s with the movie Days and Confused, right? Because I barely lived through the 70s. I don't know how far into the 70s you lived, if you lived there at all. I don't know if you want to admit when you were born. Oh, of course. I, I had a chunk of time at the end yeah. of the 70s. I'll say just a tiny little bit, like a little little nick off the top of the 70s at the end there. So when I think of that, then I think about the 90s themselves and, and how we relate to the 90s from you know the movies. And the one song that just really strikes me as 90s and movies, possibly because of the American Pie franchise, is Laid by James from their Ooh. album Laid. <laughs> Yeah, you scooped me. That was definitely in my list. Colbert and Company has been covering that for years. It's part of our set list. And let me tell you, anytime I strum the opening to that song, you've got the room right in the palm of your hand. And that opening drum, oof. Oh, yeah. You're immediately hooked on that song. And I'll be honest, if I was going to follow that up with a song that we actually come out of late and go into when we play it live... And that would be a song from the 1980s, however, so it would not fit for tonight. But I would go into the Violent Femmes, Blister in the Sun. Yeah. But James Laid, I also want to give a shout out to Matt Nathanson's cover of it that was featured in the American Wedding soundtrack, an amazing cover. They almost sound exactly the same, but Matt brings just enough of his originality to it to make it a really, really cool cover. And now coming out of that, man, I really, really, really want to go into Violent Femmes, but I can't. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to flip the playlist on its ear just a little bit. And I'm going to bring in one of the ladies of the 90s. And this one is one of those songs, the first time I heard it, because I'm a bass player, I immediately was hooked. And I'm like, who is this? I need this song in my collection right now. And I'm going from the album Last Splash. I am going with The Breeders and Cannonball. That is pound for pound my most underrated grunge song of the 90s and i bring that up all the time that was on my list you scoop me i love that song oh it's such a good tune <laughs> see now we're coming out of hip-hop we're kind of going into 90s rock look this is a snapshot in time no matter how hard we try kind of weaving this playlist is gonna be impossible because it's a year's worth of songs that kind of cover a ton of different genres but so far, I think we've kind of done two firsts here. So I'll be curious to see where you head with this. Yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't bring some kind of like hipster deep cut to something like this. And I've got the follow up to that. Also from 1993, uh, just not, you know, a big radio hit in any way, shape or form. But from Ani DeFranco's album Puddle Dive, Names and Dates and Times. It's got her signature, you know, staccato guitar riffs. It's got a nice and sadly relevant 
topic, and it's a bop. Yeah, there's something about her music that is just ingrained in the 90s. How she wasn't massive is absolutely beyond me. I mean, she is respected amongst so many genres and so many artists, and she is so important to music. However, I don't feel like she got the mainstream success that would normally come with that. And I feel like a lot of singer-songwriters in the last 20 years owe their career to somebody like Ani. So it's it's very surprising that she wasn't much more massive than she was. But now, coming out of that... Hmm. Okay, I think I got I think I got it. When I pitched this idea, I threw an album out there and everybody chimed in with a different song. So there's no way I'm going to pick the right song for this one. But coming out of Ani, I think I've got it. And I'm going to go with the massive 1993 album, August and Everything After. And I'm going to go with The Counting Crows. And I'm going to go with Round Here. Coming out of Ani DeFranco is going to be a challenge. And the only way to really do it right is to kind of take you down a little bit and then ease you back in because that song has an energy to it that I'm just not seeing anything in my list that I could follow up with. So what I'm going to do is take the energy down at the beginning of round here. Cause it does start off like a ballad, but then brings you up back into what would be more of a, I don't want to call it rocking, but, Definitely a groovier track that I feel like coming out of that Ani song kind of fits, but also opens the door to a lot of different directions as well because of the fact that this playlist does have a bit of randomness to it. I kind of like where I'm going with this and not going to lie. I wanted to be the first one to get a Counting Crows pick in because I know I'm guessing, guessing, guessing it's on your list as well. Yeah, I almost started off with a Counting Crow song just so I could guarantee that I would get Raining in Baltimore in, which is my favorite Counting Crow song from that album. But that's one of the few albums I'll put up there as saying it's a perfect album. I agree. Uh, It's one of the best albums of the 90s and probably in my top 10 favorite albums of all time. So there's nothing I could say about the lyrically, musically. It is absolutely perfect. And honestly, Raining in Baltimore, you could have named any song on the album. Omaha. Anna Begins. And anyone, I'd be like, yeah, that's a perfect pick because that album is 1993 to me. And so keeping with the flow of the playlist, but trying to change it up a little bit, I feel like the perfect lead out for that song is probably Disarmed by Smashing Pumpkins from Siamese Dream. It's not a happy song, but it is a more upbeat, at least in terms of rhythm, somewhat symphonic song and i think it is going to give us the momentum we need to get to the end of side one yeah that's a great one you definitely scooped me on the band how can you not talk about siamese dream in 1993 i had gone with today but disarm coming out of round here i actually feel like works better in this instance so i absolutely love it and you know what i want to pick up the energy a little bit though because round here is a little mellow and disarm is a little mellow. So I think I'm going to stick with the mellow a little bit and then pick it up and rock it out. So this is going to have a a, a nice transition, I think coming out of disarm and I'm going to go off the album hints, allegations and things left unsaid. 
And I'm going with Collective Souls Shine. An absolutely amazing track. This song kicks all sorts of ass. It feels as fresh in 2023 as it did in 1993. And then you got the guitar solo that picks up the pace. It's rocking, it's heavy, it's fast, and it gets you going. And that's where I kind of want to take the end of this side because we had some energy and then we're kind of dipping down. So I kind of want to bring up the energy and coming out of Smashing Pumpkins, I feel like Collective Soul Shine does just that. That's a song that I always forget about. And, and I only remember it when like somebody does it at karaoke or if I'm listening to like a 90s station that I didn't otherwise normally listen to. It just always kind of escapes my memory. And then, and then I, I hear it and I'm like, yeah, this this takes me back. Like, this is a bop. Yeah, it's one of those songs where the band, obviously, this album kind of broke them into the mainstream. And then their self-titled album that came out after this really is what made them explode because of the song Gel from the Jerky Boys movie, The World I Know. That album was the one that really catapulted them into stardom. But Shine is one of those underrated 90s classics, so much so that Dolly Parton, who was put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and everybody was kind of having this discussion last year saying, does Dolly Parton deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And I immediately said, yeah, she covered Collective Soul Shine. And while they did a country version of it, it's still respecting the rock song enough to kind of feel like she deserves to be there. And it just shows that the song, obviously, if it was good enough for Dolly, it should be good enough for us tonight, right? Absolutely. I mean, who are we to argue with Dolly? Yeah, exactly. And Collective Soul is one of those bands that, like you said, this song might not be the first go-to song that people think of when they think of Collective Soul. However, without this song, many people might not have known about Collective Soul. All right, we'll keep that vibe going, Brian. Uh, this was one of my maybe songs, but I feel like it fits here. Mega popular in 1993, and I just feel like the follow-up to that has to be Candlebox Far Behind. Oh, you went with Far Behind. Okay, I had you on my list. I vividly remember listening to you all the time on the radio. And then when I finally got the album, the album version actually has an extra verse in it with an F-bomb. And the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, wow, this is a totally different version. Then if you fast forward all the way through college and into my early 20s, the night that I met my wife, my buddy and I were driving up to the venue to go hang out. It was a dance club. And as we're driving up, we had the radio on up in New Hampshire and they played Candlebox is You. And sure enough, they played the uncensored version. I'll never forget that moment because the two of us looked at each other and we're like, someone's getting fired tonight. But I love that song. I love Far Behind, too. My old cover band used to cover it. It's, it's a classic tune. And it's slow. Hmm. It's slow, but it's yelly. Yeah. Yeah. I want to end the side with something big, but something that is a little bit left field just for fun because this playlist is random and I, I kind of want to be random right now. So this song in, in no universe should come after far behind, but I honestly don't see any other place that it would fit. And I don't think there'll be any place on side B where it'll fit. So I, I can't even say it with a straight face. I am going to close side A with green jello 
Three Little Pigs from the Serial Killer soundtrack. That is my track 10. And I already know someone's going to call me out because technically the VHS Serial Killer was released in October of 1992. However, the CD that we all own, the Serial Killer soundtrack came out and the single dropped in 1993. So I am going to take advantage of a little bit of a gray area here and go with this for my track 10 on side A, Green Jello's Three Little Pigs. I can't think of a more 90s way to finish out a side of a mixtape than that song. (laughs) It really is. And I also love the fact that there's a connection between Green Jello and Tool. Obviously, I mentioned Tool at the top of the show. They're another band that could easily be included in tonight's conversation. So I don't want to say anything just yet. You never know where this mixtape is going to wind up. But a few years ago, I think it was 2019, on my old podcast, Tune Styles, I had a chance to talk with Bill Manspeaker, who is the lead singer of Green Jello or Green Jelly or whatever the lawsuit is making the name be of the band right now. And even though we're recording this live right now, I'm going to leave myself an editing note in my discussion points right here and say, hey, Brian, when you're editing this, <laughs> drop a clip of Bill Manspeaker from Green Jello talking to Tune Styles podcast, which was my old podcast back in 2019 about the connection with Tool because I feel like that'd be an awesome thing to hear from his mouth and not mine regurgitating it at this point. So edit away, Brian. I had um, a good friend named Adam who used to come to all my Green Jello shows and he was a special effects artist that was working at Stan Winston. He was trying to get me a job over there. And Adam would come over all the time, help me make costumes. One day, his uh, friend from Michigan moved to town, Jim. He brought Jim over and said, hey, Jim, this is Bill. Bill, this is Jim. He needs a place to live. I was the guy that always gave somebody a a place to live, and he immediately moved in, uh, joined our band. And uh, we had a big, giant loft in Hollywood where everybody came over, and we played music, and we made art, and we had parties. And Jim had lived at the loft for a couple months, and he had joined Green Jello, and he was singing uh, along, uh, playing drums with Maynard and making costumes with uh, with Adam, his friend. And uh, one day I came home with this check for $60,000 from a record company, and Maynard and uh, Adam were home at the loft, and they immediately said, hey, let's start our own band. And uh, Maynard and Adam immediately started a band called Tool. And the first song that they wrote was called Maynard's which uh, they wrote right then in front of me. And I was going to throw a big party with all the money that I made. And Maynard said, okay, can my band play at the party? I said, you don't have a band. He says, well, I'm going to make up one for the party. And I said, sure. So we got Danny to play drums, and this guy Paul Demore was over playing video games, and he got him to play bass. And next thing you know, they're playing my party, you know, the week after. And the record company saw them and signed them also. So all of a sudden, all my friends had about a quarter million dollars, and we were assigned to these uh, major record deals. And we did the best that we could, and we focused, and uh, we put all of our effort into one area and both of our bands won 
And now, whatever it is, 20, 30 years later, uh, they're probably one of the biggest bands in the world. Also, if you go back to the beginnings of Tool, didn't they record their debut EP at your loft or your apartment? Yes, uh, at the Green Jello loft. The live songs for Opiate were recorded there on New Year's Eve. In fact, all those songs off of Opiate and Undertow were all written at the Green Jello loft during a a period of time where we all lived together. So I know what most of the songs uh, are talking about and who they're uh, based upon. And uh, pretty much uh, the third record, too, but um, that was kind of broken up into a little piece uh, that was wrote. But, yeah, all those songs, those beginning Tool songs were all written at the Green Jello Loft, all with the same group amount of, of people. And then the last fact that the Green Jello fans obviously know, but the average music listener might not. Maynard plays a role in Three Little Pigs. Yes, he sings the uh, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin part. It was Maynard's first gold record of uh, probably about 20 now. So it was his first official hit was Three Little Pigs that he sang of. Yeah, the, the guy who sings in the greatest band in the world is also the singer in the worst band in the world. And we're back. So as long as I remembered to drop that green jello clip in, we're good. If not, feel free to call <laughs> me out at myweeklymixtape at gmail.com. After all that, Ed, I'm sure you have some memories of this iconic claymation video, right? I do. And the thing is, like, I'm oddly terrified of claymation. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that to you before, <laughs> but like, Wallace and Gromit makes me very uncomfortable. This video makes me very uncomfortable. I don't know why, but yeah, this was such a weird song to go so big for as long as it did, right? Yeah, like this is this is some Doctor Demento level stuff that ended up being kind of big. And he kind of prides himself on Green Jello being the world's worst band. And they're also in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the world's largest band. And at the end of that interview, we were just shooting the breeze with him. And I said, so, like, what does it take to get in Green Jello? And he's like, what do you mean? What does it take? You two are in. So apparently, I could technically say my band song three little pigs because he just kind of threw us in the band i don't know if we're technically he might have kicked us out though i don't know if it really if it really counts who would kick you out (laughs) who would kick you out well there you have it folks side a of an extremely random mixtape here and that consists of wu-tang clans protect your neck snoop dogs gin and juice james laid the breeders cannonball Ani DeFranco's Names, Dates, and Times, Counting Crows, Round Here, Smashing Pumpkins, Disarm, Collective Souls, Shine, Candle Boxes, Far Behind, and Green Jello, Three Little Pigs. Whew, I can't wait to see where Side B goes with this one. Head over to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to hear all the songs we are discussing in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
Even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Now, Ed, before we flip over our proverbial mixtape to side B, why don't you tell listeners a little bit more about the greatest song ever sung poorly podcast? Well, thank you, Brian. I am one half of the greatest song ever sung poorly, the podcast that takes karaoke exactly as seriously as it should be taken. We are on a bit of a break right now, but season three should be starting this spring. We talk to people who love karaoke and we talk about karaoke and we sing some very bad karaoke along the way. Well, speaking from somebody who spent many a many a nights in a karaoke bar, you guys really, truly capture that essence on the show. And I can't wait to talk some karaoke jams with you sometime, man. We're going to have to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, our back catalog is there at sungpoorly.com as well as everything else about the show. Awesome. Awesome. Well, now it is time. I am pressing record on side B. And I am going to kick off side B. I'm going to make this a a 90 minute tape, maybe even 120 minutes by the time we're done with this one. I am kicking off with the most grandiose single that 1993 had to offer a single so large that the radio edit was seven minutes and something seconds long. I am going with bad out of hell Two, back from hell meatloaf. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. This song is absolutely amazing. One of my favorite Meatloaf songs of all time. And let's be honest, when I was in high school, Meatloaf was considered our parents' music. And somehow this song jumped him into our generation and made him a household name through our generation. So the ability to do that, him and Jim Steinman writing this song that 
crossed generations. There's not many artists that could do that. And Meatloaf was being played all over MTV alongside of a lot of different bands. And this song is just so amazing. I love the dual vocals at the end, which kind of call back to Paradise by the Dashboard Light, but in maybe a sequel-esque sense. So yeah, my track one on side B, Meatloaf. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Absolutely scooped. No question. That song was on my list. And it still boggles my mind that people don't know what the that is when it's so clearly <laughs> it's laid out in the song. Screwing around. Yes. It's I won't literally she like yeah. she she they could have dubbed it in a different voice. It could have been like sooner lady be screwing around. And then it, people might have gotten it at that point. Maybe they have to do that version. Maybe they do. So to keep with that spirit, I want something that is kind of big and bombastic sounding. And the only follow-up that I can think that I have that, that follows that up correctly is Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lenny Kravitz. Yes! Which is also one of my uh, former go-to karaoke songs. I love doing that song. I love belting that out. It's just such a fun rock song. And I forget about it sometimes, but with 1993, it's right there at the forefront. Absolutely. I, I love this song. It's so much fun to play. Obviously, the guitar riff is fun, and everyone knows the guitar riff, but if you listen to the bass line underneath, it's so fun and so funky. I loved covering that song. Anytime I'm in a band where I'm playing bass, and they're like, do you want, oh my God, yes, because there's the little bass solo, right, leading into the guitar solo in the song. It's funky. It's got a groove to it. That song absolutely rocks, and it was one of the ones I mentioned at the top of the show, so we are hitting some of the mixtaper anthems here. And that song rocks, too. So that gives me a lot of different directions I can go. And I'm going to continue to pick up the energy because the first song was theatrical in nature. Let's be honest. It's not one of those songs that's going to make the entire crowd lose control. But Are You Going to Go My Way gets people up and moving. And now I'm going to make that, I'm going to turn that into a 1993 mosh pit. Because in 1993, people would mosh to anything, really. But this song deserved it. And I'm going to go with the opening track from Pearl Jam's Verses. And I'm going to go with Go for my track two. The drum beat instantly sends people into a frenzy. The song is manic. It's seriously one of the best Pearl Jam songs out there. I feel like I might have missed the mark not starting side two with Go because of the obvious nature of it. And I love that kind of tongue-in-cheek part. But... I wanted to start big, and because you brought the energy up, I found a perfect opportunity to put this one back in there. So Pearl Jam's Go for track three. It's such a great choice, and that was a great album, and I had such a hard time picking anything from that album that it actually escaped my list. So you actually did not scoop me with Pearl Jam, which I'm surprised. Like I am surprised that Pearl Jam did not make any of my possible choices here. And following that up is a tough one. Uh, but I was re recently reminded of a song doing live band karaoke in Pittsburgh that I, a song I had never done before, but a song that I think fits with that sound and that I was surprised to know was from 1993, which is good by Better Than Ezra off their album nice. Deluxe. All right. Great pick. Great pick, man. So did I ever tell you my theory of the perfect karaoke song, Brian? No, you have not. And I have a feeling we're going to find out now. Yeah. So <laughs> if you really want an easy way to get over in a crowd, you pick a song that people forgot they knew. So whether you're singing it well or not, 
they get that dopamine hit from, wait, I know, I know this. I know this. And if you're a guy about our age or a girl about our age or just anybody about our age, this song kind of fits to that bill because I can't remember the last time I personally thought about this song. And I'm sure you're probably like the same way. Like this is probably not like on your regular all the time. I listen to this constantly, but when you hear this, it takes you back to having a flannel shirt tied around your waist on a spring day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And one thing about this band is one of my first high school bands was called Ezra. And when this band came out, I'm like, well, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> are, are, are they better than Ezra? Oh, they were better than Ezra. <laughs> it was not just a clever name. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's such a feel-good song. And like I, again, it's just one of those things. Like This very much just captures the 90s in a way that I can't describe. Absolutely love that one. That is one of the two songs that Colburn and company starts off every single show with. Since we've started, we actually start with when I come around from green day tuned up a half step so that it's in G because when it is tuned up a half step, it is the exact same chord progression as better than Ezra's good. So we mash them into a melody to start the night. It is such a fun song to sing. It is such a fun song to play. And like you said, it gives people that, ooh, I remember that one at the beginning of the night. So hopefully we can kind of bring them in for a fun evening of live music when we're playing out. Yeah. Better Than Ezra is one of those underrated pop bands. They wrote so many great songs. When you think about Extraordinary, Closer, Misunderstood, this was a great band, very underrated. So I love that they're getting included in this conversation tonight. But coming out of it is going to be tough because I don't necessarily want to stick with too much pop rock. But I feel like coming out of that, I think I know where I'm going to go. And I'm going to go back to a female artist this time because I feel like we need to represent it. And I'm going to go with a song from the massive smash hit Tuesday Night Music Club. And I'm going to go with Sheryl Crow's Run Baby Run. I'm not going to go with All I Want to Do because that just seemed a little too on the nose for me. And, and, and if I'm being perfectly honest, Run Baby Run always gives me goosebumps to this day. And you know what? Bringing it down a little bit before we bring it back up for the end, I feel like it's a perfect opportunity. And this song is absolutely amazing. So track five for me is Sheryl Crow's Run Baby Run. Well, yeah, scoop me on the artist. I had three songs of hers. Nice. As you can imagine, you can probably imagine which ones they were. Uh, obviously, you know, All I Want to Do, Leaving Las Vegas, and Strong Enough were on my list. Honestly, Ed, any one of those songs from Tuesday Night Music Club would be perfect here. This album is one that, again, it stands the test of time. I put this album along with Counting Crows, August, and everything after, where even though they're distinctly 1993 albums, there's a timeless nature to these songs, and this album still sounds fresh, and it still sounds new in modern music. And I feel like if you were to release this album today, it would still be met with the same regard as it was 30 years ago, deservedly so. And the nice thing about that song is Cheryl Crow mentions protest songs in it. That she does. Which is giving me my leaping off point to shift gears here a little bit. <laughs> and bring in Sound of the Police, KRS-One, off Return of the Boom Bap. 
Ooh. So straight up, uh, KRS is always in my top five MCs. Like if I if I ever have to make a top five MC list, he's gonna be in there somewhere. Um, whether it's the stuff from, with Boogie Down Productions or the stuff that he did on his own later. This is one of the songs that's sadly going to be relevant probably well past our lifetimes and it's such a good track just on top of that just in the way that it sounds like there's a lot of sound design to it i don't i don't know how else to describe that but everything from his voice mimicking you know a police siren to just how he uh you know takes overseer into officer like there's just a lot of stuff really well done in that and i actually kind of forgot it was a 90s song until we were putting this together because it does have that kind of resonance today. Yeah, it still feels like it could be a modern hip-hop song now. And I know it was certainly used in the movie Cop Out, in the movie trailer. I wish This was a moment I wish Gomez was here on the show from Playlist Wars because he would drop every movie the song was ever in. And how many times it showed up in a video game. Yeah, exactly. And I am, I'm also sure that this song was pretty much in every buddy cop movie since it came out. But regardless of that, using the woot woot in the vocal delivery as the hook, it instantly captures the attention of anybody in the club, on the radio, in the movie trailers, wherever it's used, because it's so iconic. And I like that you mentioned Boogie Down Productions, because if we do an 80s hip hop episode of my weekly mixtape there is no way you could talk about 80s hip-hop without the iconic bdp and krs1 is an absolute legend that i feel like doesn't get included in the conversation enough when you're talking about 90s hip-hop legends because of the fact that the 90s gave birth to notorious big tupac jay-z eminem which was later in 99 a lot of the mainstays in hip-hop for the last several decades came out of the 90s and a lot of people don't automatically go to krs1 but without krs1 you don't have any of the other mcs i just mentioned yeah i mean for me just getting some of that stuff on there it was a toss-up between getting him or big daddy kane on there and uh, the song just kind of fit a little bit better with where we were going yeah i'm not sure pimpin ain't easy is really going to come out of a cheryl crow song really well but (laughs) Here we are taking Cheryl Crow and going into KRS-One. <laughs> Somehow in this universe, on my weekly mixtape, it works. <laughs> Believe it or not, you didn't scoop me on that one. I did not have that song, and I am now kicking myself for not having that song because that song is absolutely awesome. But at that point, people are up and dancing. So how am I going to come out of that? And I am going to go with something that is really going to keep people on the dance floor. And I'm going to go with one that slightly got a little bit of a hip-hop vibe. I, I Look, I've been into many clubs in the 90s where this song was played right out of a hip-hop song, so I feel like it'll work here. And I just love saying the name of the album because it reminds me of Ferris Bueller. So from the album Swing, Bat a Swing, K7, Come Baby Come. We're going to put in some dance music here. 
And what better song to pick when you're thinking about a dance song than Come Baby Come? Because that song, when you think 90s dance music, it's one of the first ones that comes to mind. It makes a lot of different 90s dance lists for good reason. The song was absolutely everywhere. It was a top charting hit on Billboard. Their only really big charting hit on Billboard, I should say, because this song, while it's also on a lot of 90s dance lists, also makes a lot of one-hit wonder lists as well. And it's a shame because this song is so much fun. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever been to a wedding that this song hasn't been played at. It's just everywhere, and for good reason. So yeah, if I'm going to go with a dance song from 1993 coming out of KRS-One, because that definitely gets people on the dance floor, Come Baby Come by K7 is certainly going to keep them there. I love that. That song escaped my list, but man, that should have been on there. That's oh, it's such a good choice. That song was everywhere. Yeah. And it still is. And especially because of jock jams, it became a stadium anthem that they still play now. And it still works because the song is that much fun. So thank you, 1993, for that song, because that one still holds up. See, now's, now's the tough part. Now I got to gotta follow that, Brian. I got to follow that. <laughs> and that's the fun of this show. It's I'm not joking when I say that this show is done spontaneously on the spot. And there's no way we can do this for an entire year without feeling like we're leaving things off, which is just so much pressure at the end here. So, Brian, I'm going to, I think, either do you a solid or, or, or just completely flip things on you and give you something that you can go almost anywhere from just because of how many different things went into the song and it's cantaloupe flip fantasia by us three from the album hand on the torch dude i love it this is one of the greatest songs of the 90s how this was a one-hit wonder Speaking only in the U.S. here, because they are a British group and they had a lot of hits outside of the U.S. How this song was really their only massive hit shocks me. I mean, it's on the Blue Note label. To me, right there, when I am in a record store and I'm flipping through CDs, I have literally bought CDs from artists I've never heard of simply because they were on Blue Note. I trust that label with my money because... When it's on Blue Note, there is a standard that is reached. You immediately knew you were getting something special. And now, coming out of that, you are absolutely right. I can go in any direction. However, oh, man. I have about six different directions I can go here. And the one thing this list has going for it is the fact that it's consistently inconsistent because the songs are kind of all over the map and we've taken some left turns throughout both sides here and I feel like I could do it again and get away with it and I think that's what I'm going to do. So what I am going to do is give the obvious hat tip to a band that is synonymous with the 90s and especially 1993. And because it's my last song pick of the night, I kind of want to save it in hopes that you'll use it for the last pick because I feel it is the perfect cassette closer. But I also, this will be throwing down a gauntlet to see what you could close with following this one. So I kind of want to have some fun with this. And I'm also curious what you think of the song. I'm going to go off of 1993's In Utero. And I'm going to go with Nirvana's All Apologies. 
And obviously, it's from 1993. All the albums we've been talking about are from 1993. But In Utero was different. In Utero showed a massive growth for a band that I don't know necessarily wanted to grow to the level they did. Maybe two-thirds of the band did, but I don't know if Kurt necessarily did. And coming out of Nevermind, obviously you had the incesticide in between album from some of their sub pop stuff, but that was kind of a rarities released kind of a holdover in utero is the true follow-up to nevermind. And it's a darker album. It was definitely more akin to the sound they had on their bleach album. When I listened to a song like school from bleach, and then I listened to something off of nevermind, I almost feel like in utero, even though it is obviously the follow-up to Nevermind, feels like a callback to the Bleach days. And that was a pretty bold move because at that point, people were expecting Nevermind 2. And I kind of love the fact that they did this. And obviously, a lot of people did too because Heart Shaped Box became absolutely massive. And then there's this song, certainly one of the most memorable Nirvana tracks and definitely a staple of 1993. So I'm going with Nirvana, all apologies. Definitely scoot me, definitely on my list. That ended in utero, didn't it? Wasn't that the last song on that Yes, album? it was. Yes, it was. So. And it's such a good closer and it's such a good song. And then for where I would go with that is when I think of that song and I think of Nirvana, I think of Unplugged and how big unplugged was in the 90s and i mean i feel like brian i feel like we made a very successful mixtape here like we haven't finished it yet we have one more song to go but i feel like we would want to hear something live and something with clapping at the end of it and then the first thing i think of when i think of unplugged is Ten Thousand maniacs because that's the first unplug i remembered i don't know if that was the first or if it's just the first one i remembered so i want to end off our great night of recording this mixtape together with Because the Night, 10,000 Maniacs from Unplugged, the Patti Smith song. Absolutely love it. Bruce Springsteen obviously has his hand in that one too. That song really is such a massive part of the 90s and a really nice bookend for Side B with Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything for Love because once again, 10,000 Maniacs were alternative in the 80s and they were one of those bands that kind of rode the wave into the 90s and still stayed relevant throughout the changing musical landscape. I would put 10,000 Maniacs in kind of the same boat as R.E.M., where they were an alternative band in the 80s and was able to kind of navigate into the 90s without altering their sound in any way, maybe just kind of branching out from their norm. They never had to do a 90s album, if you get what I'm saying. They stuck to what they did, and the music kind of, became what they were doing in the 90s. And to me, I think that's a huge thing. And because the night, when I think of MTV Unplugged albums, I mean, we could do an entire 90s MTV Unplugged mixtape episode. And you probably should. Yeah, we'd certainly probably should because there's so much to pick from. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I think of the How I Told You Lately cover of Van Morrison that Rod Stewart did. And you think about all apologies from the Nirvana one, although I went with, the studio version on on this mixtape. Well, you had to. Yeah, of course. That's just scratching the surface here of what Unplugged is. And yeah, that's a fantastic pick, man. I love that to close. 
No, I feel like I've done my job successfully then, and, and we get the clapping at the end, so we can just pretend that they're clapping for us and not Natalie Merchant. Yeah, and then it fades out and then flips back over into Wu-Tang's Protect Your Neck. So it's an interesting mix here. We covered a lot of the genres we talked about. There's no way to cover all of them. And this is one of those episodes where I'll be curious what the mixtapers out there think. Because certainly you could do a 93 mixtape and keep it all in the alternative range. But I feel like in a year episode, that's not a really good representation of, of the year. That's not really a time capsule. That's a segment of the time capsule. So I feel like, to be honest, there are certain moments in the mixtape where you know we're doing 180s, kind of coming from Gin and Juice and Delayed and Far Behind and The Three Little Pigs. But that was the way radio was in 1993. If you think about Top 40 radio, it didn't yeah. have a unique 1993 sound. It was all over the map still, especially in Top 40. Yeah, a lot of these broke through to that mainstream audience, even the ones that you wouldn't necessarily expect because this is about the time that country and hip-hop started to really hit those top 40 airwaves because this is about when the sound scan stuff started coming out right like when when they were starting to get stuff other than just you know what people were reporting for their sales so i remember i mean hearing on stations that my parents listened to hearing cantaloupe you know like not necessarily the kind of thing that they would be listening to on their own but it was there because it was included in that top 40. Yeah, and, and it's the same thing where artists like Tom Petty, who were considered 70s rock, Tom Petty reinvented himself. Obviously, everyone knows he's my favorite artist, so, um, you know, whatever. In the 80s, he reinvented himself for the 80s sound with Jeff Lynne, and he did it successfully. But in the 90s, he didn't really reinvent anything. He just kind of added a little bit more acoustic guitar to what he was doing when he had the Wildflowers album. Then he went a little bit heavier and darker into the late 90s with Echo and the stuff he did with Rick Rubin and The Last DJ. So, I mean, Tom Petty was one of those evolving artists. I had Mary Jane's Last Dance in my list of songs, and I'm really bummed that I didn't get a chance to include it. I was thinking about it for that nine spot, but really, at the end of the day, all apologies needed that. And... Like all mixtapes, there can always be a volume two. Yeah, so many songs from 1993. I forgot the depth and breadth that that year had until getting ready to hang out with you tonight. And that's the fun of this show, because each year you don't realize until you dig deep, sometimes songs get blurred between the years, because I know a lot of people were probably thinking Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine, but that album came out in 92. And for me, that was a completely different school year, a completely different time of life. And then you I was prepared to lead off with something from the chronic because I could have sworn it was, but it was December of 92. Yeah. And that kind of blurs the line right into the new year. So using that little bit of a rule that we have of album release year, it does kind of whittle down the choices, which there have been a lot of. But man, we covered a lot of great stuff here. Kicking off side B, we had Meatloaf, I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That, Lenny Kravitz, Are You Gonna Go My Way, Pearl Jam's Go, Better Than Ezra's Good, Cheryl Crow's Run Baby Run, KRS-One's Sound of the Police, K-7's Come Baby Come, Us Three's Cantaloupe Flip Fantasia, Nirvana's All Apologies, and closing it out, 10,000 Maniacs, Because the Night. You can always head over to myweeklymixtape.com to hear all of the songs we discussed tonight in the mix that's embedded on the episode page. Ed, before we eject our final mixtape, why don't you tell people once again where they can find the greatest song ever sung poorly podcast if they'd like to hear more. 
If it's a social media, we are at Sung Poorly. If it is our webpage, it is sungpoorly.com. Available wherever you can shove podcasts into your ear holes. And I could say with some ease and with some certainty that we could do a volume two for the songs of 1993 and have no problem coming up with another 20 songs, another 40 songs, hell, another 60 songs. 1993 was a fantastic year in music, and we might have to have a volume two to add to this conversation. We might. I mean, there's so many, so many ways we can go, Brian, so many ways, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, Egg Kennard, the greatest song ever sung poorly podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week on my weekly mixtape. Hope to have you back on the show again sometime. Thanks, Brian. Remember, you can find my weekly mixtape on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at my weekly mixtape. You can also head to myweeklymixtape.com to hear the music discussed on tonight's episode and to check out the full catalog of my weekly mixtape episodes. If you want to support the show, please consider becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, enjoy the tunes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.